Well, uh, if you will, if you, if you do have your Bibles, look at uh, Revelation 3, chapter 7. This is the, the letter to the church at Philadelphia. Now, this is not West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. This is not that Philadelphia. All right, it's a different Philadelphia. It's a one over there in Asia, near where all these other, uh, near Smyrna, not, and that's not Smyrna, Georgia either, and uh, Pergamum and Thyatira, all the other places that we've been talking about, Philadelphia is in that same area. And so, uh, so it's one of the seven churches in that same area of the world. And uh, let me just begin by reading the whole letter to begin with. This is the letter that Jesus told the angel to write to give to the church at Philadelphia. And this is what it says, starting with verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, if you've been here for the last few weeks as we've been looking at all these letters to the book of Revelation, you might notice that there's something a little different about this letter there's one other letter that's, that's kind of like that, but, but, but uh, there's something different about this letter than most of the other letters. Does anybody want to take a guess at what it is? You can answer out loud. I, I, if you're wrong, we'll just laugh at you. It's no big deal, all right? No, we won't laugh at you. Anybody want to guess? Nothing bad. Gary Wilson, good job. Gary Wilson, guitarist for the band, got that right. Yeah, th- this letter is very different than the other letters because this letter is completely positive. I mean, if you remember, you don't have to look back, but, uh, but you know, Revelation 2, 4, the letter to the, to the church at Ephesus, you know, Jesus is saying some good things. Here's some good stuff you did. And then in verse 4, he says, yet I hold this against you. Then the letter to the church at Pergamum in Revelation 2, 14, he's saying some good things. And then he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And then you get to uh, Thyatira, which is what Donnie preached on two weeks ago. Revelation 2.20, it says some good things about the folks at Thyatira. And then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. And then what, what Blake preached on last week, it's really not even a whole lot of good at all. Just Jesus just jumps right in and says, you've got the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. But now here you have the, the letter to the church at Philadelphia, and there's none of that. It's all encouraging. And one of the things you need to know about the the church at Philadelphia that I think is interesting is the church at Philadelphia is the smallest of the seven churches. They had the least number of people at their worship gatherings on Sunday morning. Their Sunday school attendance, when they sent in the number to the Baptist convention for them to count them, they were lower than most people. Their baptism numbers were low. They didn't have two screens on the stage. They didn't even have one screen. They were a no-screen church. They didn't have a, a happening band. They had a, there, there were other churches in town that had smarter and funnier and, and more insightful pastors. But the church at Philadelphia 
got the notice of Jesus, not because of how many people they were running on Sunday morning or how many screens they had or any of that kind of stuff. They got the notice of Jesus because they were obedient. Because they were faithfully obedient to what he had taught them to do. And that's what they got praised for. You see, churches churches get noticed for a lot of different reasons. The other day I was in Donnie's office and he, uh, he said, have you seen this? There's a church in Houston that the pastor is encouraging all the people in the church to get tattoos because of Lent. And I said, what do you mean, like dryer Lent? And he said, no, no, he didn't, I didn't say that. But, uh, but you know, Lent, you know, the, 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 the time of the holy calendar where between Ash Wednesday and Easter and, and, uh, and there's some guy, and I don't know why he would do this, probably because his brother-in-law owns a tattoo parlor and he needs business or something, but there's this guy that he's telling the whole church, hey, you should all go out and get tattoos to commemorate Lent. And, you know, fine. If that's what they want to do, I'm not saying that he shouldn't do that. But to me, that church is now getting a lot of uh, press because of this. And, and there's a lot of reasons that churches get press. But the, the only reason that matters for a church to get noticed, the only reason that that's the, the thing that's going to get Jesus' attention is not how many people in your church get tattoos to celebrate Lent. The thing that gets the attention of Jesus about your church is if you are obedient. And as the pastor of Freedom Fellowship, if, if, if we could be known for anything, the thing that I would want us to be known for is that people would say, yeah, that church, the people that go to that church, they are serious about the teachings of Jesus. They obey the teachings of Jesus. They are faithfully obedient to everything the Bible says. That's what I would want us to be known for above anything else, above attendance, above baptism numbers, above anything else. I would want us to be known as the church that is obedient. And that's what the church at Philadelphia was all about. And so that's why this, this letter is, is so positive. Jesus is saying, you're doing what I asked you to do. And you're doing what I asked you to do even though it's difficult where you live. And, and so the, the letter is full of hope. And that is the, that's the main message of the letter to the church at Philadelphia is that there is hope for the faithful. There is hope for the faithful. Now there's, there's two areas that it, that it seems to me as I read through this Two areas that, that Jesus is saying, here's where you need hope, here's where you have hope. And the first one is, there's hope for today. There's hope for today. Look at verses 9 and 10 uh, there that, in, in that letter. He says this, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And then verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now what he's talking about there are very specific struggles, very specific difficulties that the people who lived in Philadelphia, if you were a follower of Jesus, these are specific difficulties that they had in being a follower of Jesus day to day in the city of Philadelphia. You, now you'll remember that was back in one of the other letters that we read where it talked about the synagogue of Satan. Jesus called another group the synagogue of Satan. Who the synagogue of Satan were? Now they, they didn't go around being called that. They said that they were religious. They didn't say like, hey, come with me to church. Where do you go? I go to the synagogue of Satan. No, it wasn't like that at all. That was Jesus' name for that church. So it'd be like Freedom Fellowship and we, I go to Freedom Fellowship. Oh, well, Jesus calls you the synagogue of Satan. That's what that was all about. And they were folks that were Jews, but they were not 
not followers of Jesus. They were not Christians. And so what they would do is they would do all that they could, everything in their power, to stop the Christian church. They would make it difficult on the people who followed Jesus. And so Jesus is telling the church at Philadelphia here, listen, you, you're dealing with this stuff every single day. I know that it's difficult to live as a follower of Christ in Philadelphia, and I want you to know that I've noticed that. And I want you to know that I'm going to do something about the fact that it is difficult to live as a follower of Jesus. And I want you to know today that just like Jesus was aware of the difficulty of living as a follower of Jesus in Philadelphia, Jesus is also aware of the difficulty you face day in and day out living as a follower of Jesus in Greenville and Spartanburg County. He knows what you're going through. He knows that it can be difficult. He knows that that stuff, uh, that, that trying to follow him day after day is, is hard. Look, verse 8, I love verse 8, and I'm going to read just the second part of that. It says, the second part, it says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He was telling the church at Philadelphia, I know that you're weak, but I still love you. And he would say to you today, I know what you're going through. I know that you're weak in your faith. And you come to freedom on Sunday mornings hoping to get a little bit of strength to try to face what you've got to face on Monday morning. Jesus says, I know that about you. Jesus says, I know that you're in debt because you made some stupid financial decisions in the past and I know that that's weighing you down. Jesus says, I know that. I know that's it's hard for you right now. Jesus says, I know that, that you struggle in your marriage and that you and your, your husband or your wife, you're, you're fighting more than you're, you're on good terms. And he would say to you, I, I know that you've had friends that have turned their back on you and, and people that have talked bad about you behind your back because of your commitment to a church or because of your commitment to Jesus or because of your commitment to God's Word. And Jesus knows what it is that you're going through. He knows how difficult it can be to live as a follower of Christ. Now, that alone should give us some hope. Because it, isn't it a good feeling when... When you've got something that's a burden, when you've got something that you, you have to deal with, isn't it a good feeling to know that, that you're not the only one who cares about that? That you're not the only one who's carrying that load? Um, last weekend, uh, uh, me and, and a couple of our staff and, and our elders, we, we went away and just not far away, just up to look up Lodge just off of Highway 11. And, and uh, we spent 48 hours together just praying and talking about the future of this church and making some plans. And i got to tell you, as the pastor of this church, there is nothing more encouraging to me than when I get in the room with our elders and here's six men who, who work other full-time jobs. They're not on staff at the church like I am. And, and when I get in a room with them and, and I find out and I'm reminded of the fact that they care about what happens to this church, that they love this church, they want to see God glorified to this church, and it reminds me that I'm not carrying this load by myself, and that's just it's such a relief. And I want to tell you that that's what Jesus is doing for each one of you, that whatever it is that you're going through, sometimes when you feel like you're all alone in it, I'm sure the people in the church at Philadelphia, when they were faced day after day, when they would go to the marketplace and the people who were Jews that were, that were trying to, to stop the, the Christian church, they would go to the marketplace and those people would refuse to do business with them. Wouldn't even allow them to buy fruit off of their, their fruit stand and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure they felt like, this is terrible, I'm all by myself. Nobody understands what I'm going through. But Jesus said, I know, I know. I know that you have little strength. I know that it's hard to live as a follower of Jesus. And so that should give us hope. 
But I think the biggest reason that we, by reading this letter, should have hope for today, we find in verses 7 and 8. Let me read those again. Starting uh, after the word right in verse 7, it says, These are the words of him who is holy and true. This is talking about Jesus is talking about himself. Who holds the key of David. Now check this out, what Jesus says about his, himself. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You see that part in verse 8 where it says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. See, Jesus not only knows about what you're going through, but he's providing a way out for you of what you're going through. When, um, when I was the youth pastor at uh, Fairview Baptist Church um, for a long time, my daughter Emily, who is now um, 17, she was young back then, and, uh, and one of the benefits of being the youth pastor's daughter is you get to run around and be around all the teenagers and all that kind of stuff. And so it was a Wednesday night, and we're getting ready, and kids are coming in, and we're getting ready to do what we did on Wednesday nights. And, and, uh, and Emily and one of her little friends named Anna, they were, they were playing. Uh, one of our youth workers would always act like he was like a monster, and he was going to get them, and he would chase them, and they would run off and squeal and then come back and ask him to chase them again and all that kind of stuff like little, little girls do. And, uh, and so they, went, they ran into this, where, where our, our, we met on Wednesday nights, it was the oldest part of the building, and, uh, and, so, and so they ran into this little room that was off of that, uh, that, that big room that we met in, and they shut the door. Well, I'm telling you, this was an old church, like built a long time ago, and when they shut the door, they couldn't get the door back open. And so now they were trapped, and so they did what little girls do. They started crying. Now, Emily says she didn't start crying, so I take her word for that. But she says Anna was like freaking out, you know, and crying and all that kind of stuff. And Emily starts trying to find a way to get out, so she starts like slamming her shoulder up against the door, trying to get out. And, and now, now, why were they going crazy? Why were they, you know, freaking out? Because they were trapped. They, they thought, we're stuck in here, and everybody's going to go home, and we're going to be in here overnight or whatever. They, they felt like there was no way out of this little room. Until finally Emily was able to uh, use her massive shoulder and just bust through the door. I'm just kidding. She was real little then. She didn't have a massive shoulder. And uh, bust through the door and get it open. And when they got the door open, all of a sudden, everything, all the fear, all that was gone. Why? Because there was an open door. Now where they were and they felt trapped, now all of a sudden they saw, oh, there's a way out. Jesus is telling the church at Philadelphia, and he's telling you today, whatever it is, this struggle that you're going through to follow him, Jesus says, listen, I've placed before you an open door. Now, now not only is it an open door, but it's an open door that no one can shut. So, so these people that are, that are giving you a hard time, this, this whatever this, this issue is that's, that's making you struggle to follow me, even that cannot shut the door that I've placed in front of you. Now here's the thing about open doors. If Jesus places an open door in front of you, it doesn't do you any good until you walk through that door. Until you choose to say, that's the open door Jesus placed in front of me, and I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to follow him through that door. 
And if you look in this letter, one of the things that you notice is we talked about that the, the theme of the letter is there's hope for those who are faithful to him. And, and throughout the letter, every time Jesus makes a promise, when he says, I'm going I'm to put an open door in front of you, when he says, I know what you're going through, I know that your strength is small, when he does all that stuff, every time all of those promises are coupled up next to, they're linked arm in arm with an expectation that Jesus has of us. Look, let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 8. It says this in verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have what? Kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 10 says this. Since you have kept my command, that's an expectation on us, to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world. And then in verse 12, what does it say? The first three words. For him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. This letter is about hope for the faithful, and Jesus is always faithful. The question is whether we will remain faithful to him. See, the church at Philadelphia, that's what Jesus was, was commending them for, was because they had remained faithful to him. But now, verse 10 has two words in it next to each other that we don't like. Look at verse 10. Here's the two words. It says this, Since you have kept my command to, say these next two words with me out loud, loud, to endure patiently. Now, we don't like that. I don't like the word endure because to me it's almost the opposite of enjoy, right? I enjoy a day at the beach. I endure a root canal. I, I enjoy watching Star Wars. I endure watching Breaking Dawn, which, by the way, I've never watched, all right? Just want to know that and let you know that as a man. And if you're here today and you're a man and you've seen Breaking Dawn, we're going to have an invitation time later and you need to come down here and get your heart right with Jesus. And if you went to a midnight showing of Breaking Dawn and you're a man, we're going to have a time to cast demons out of you. All right, that's too much on Breaking Dawn. But, but that's what, to me, endure, endure is not a word we want to hear, is it? And then the second word there is he uses is patiently. And that's really a word that, that we have a hard time with in our society. I mean, think about the, you pull out your, pull out your phone, right? And probably most of you in here have a phone that can do all kind of stuff. You're like, hey, let's find out where we can get a latte. And so you type that in. And if it buffers for longer than like 15 seconds, like, God, I hate this phone. This thing is such a piece of junk. We just are impatient people. And what, what Jesus says there to the church at Philadelphia is, listen, you've kept my command and you have endured patiently because it's not always easy to follow Jesus. The, the thing that I don't want you to walk away from here today hearing me say is I don't want you to, to walk out of here and Cliff said, hey, as long as we follow Jesus, it's easy because it's not always easy. And the church at Philadelphia knew that. And, and Jesus said, listen, not only have you been faithful to me, but you've been faithful to me when it was difficult to be faithful to me. You've been faithful to me when, when it was a long time of being faithful and it looked like it was not doing any good. That's how faithful you have been. See, hope for today is available because of Jesus' faithfulness, but it's activated by your faithfulness. 
See, the hope is available because Jesus has, has made it available to you. But you can't experience that hope until you say, I want that. And I believe it enough that I'm going to live by the teachings of the Word of God. It's activated by your faithfulness. See, what, what happens a lot of times is, is we will, as human beings, and maybe I'm the only one that does this. Maybe, maybe y'all don't do this kind of stuff. But a lot of times we will use difficulty. If, if we've got a difficult situation, we will use that difficult situation as an excuse to be unfaithful to the teachings of Jesus. You know, man, as long as you got a job and you got money pouring in, it's easy then. Well, I'm living for Jesus. I'm reading the Bible every day. I'm going to church. Lose your job. And next thing you know, you're hanging out at the bar drinking until you get drunk every night. Not being faithful to the teachings of Jesus. As long as everybody's happy in your marriage, it's easy to be faithful to the teachings of Jesus when it comes to marriage. But as soon as your husband or your wife starts acting stupid or gaining weight or just being an idiot, whatever it might be, then all of a sudden you start looking for somebody else to make you a little bit happier. While you're making good grades in school, it's easy to be faithful to Jesus. But then you take that chemistry class, which is of the devil, and there's this teacher and she... She doesn't know what she's doing, and, and you just don't understand it. And so you say, man, it would just be easier to write out the whole periodic table of elements on the bottom of my shoe and cheat on that test. You see, what happened at the church at Philadelphia was it was hard day after day to live for Jesus. But even though it was difficult, they stayed faithful. And oftentimes what we do is when there's difficulty, we use that as an excuse to turn our back on the teachings of Jesus. We have hope for today because Jesus has offered it. But in order for us to experience that hope, we've got to be faithful to his teachings. You want to, be, you want to wonder why some people are blessed financially? And I'm not just talking about having a lot of money, but I'm talking about that they have peace financially. A lot of times, most of the time that I've noticed, because they're living by the financial principles found in the Bible. The people that I know that have a blessed marriage and they seem to, to be able to work through difficult times, it's because they're living by the principles in the Bible that are outlined about marriage. We have to be faithful to what he's called us to do. And, when we, and what happens is when we, when we choose to, to, uh, to turn our backs on the teachings of Jesus when it gets difficult, what we're showing, what we're proving is, is that we trust ourselves more to solve our problems than we trust Jesus to solve our problems. So hope for today. That's the, that's the first thing that, that this letter gives us. Now the second one, and I'm going to spend less time on this, is hope for eternity. You might say, now why are you spending less time on hope for eternity? Because let's be honest. Most of y'all think eternity, you're, you're, you're not even thinking about eternity. You're hoping you get there one day, but you're talking, you, most of you struggle with today. But let me tell you what the, what the great promise is in this letter about hope for eternity. Look at Romans 3, uh, Revelation 3, 11 through 13, the last three verses of the letter. He says this, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God 
and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 12 there where it says, For him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. That's Jesus promising us an eternal place in heaven. That, that if you stay faithful to him, he saved you and, and, and you're really saved. You, you're really, your heart has really been transformed and you grow and, and you become more like him every day until one day, whether it be from, a, from an accident or a disease or just you just got too old, finally you leave this earth. And what Jesus says is that when that day comes, when you leave this earth, that, that you are his now and that he will take you to heaven and he will make you a pillar in the temple of God in heaven and nothing can ever, ever change that. Never again will I leave it. And I love the part in, uh, in verse 12 there where it says, and I will also write on him my new name. I, um, I grew up and I went to camp every summer of my life that I, that I could get away with it. And I loved camp. And, um, and I can remember, you know, being at camp one year and a, a kid was crying. And I was like, what's, what's he crying for? And they said, he's homesick. And I was like, what in the, why in the world would you be homesick? This is like the greatest week ever. We're getting to swim in a lake and not take showers and shoot bows and arrows and stay up late and eat a bunch of sugar. This is, why would you want to go home? And that's the way I felt about camp. And, and when I would go to camp every year, my mom would take everything that I went to camp and write my name on it. My pillow, Cliff Marshall. My towel, Cliff Marshall. Everything I took, every pair of drawers that I took, right on the waistband of my whitey tidies that said Cliff Marshall. Every single one. I think that when Sherry and I got married, I still had some drawers that had Cliff Marshall <laughs> written in the waistband. Because every time I went to camp, my mom wrote my name on everything that I owned. Now, why do you write your name on stuff? You write your name on stuff that belongs to you, right? And you write your name on stuff so it won't get lost. That's why my mom was doing that. And the reason, I love, I love verse, verse 12 where it says, I will also write on him my new name. When you get to heaven, somewhere on you, I don't know where it's going to be, Jesus is going to write on you Jesus Christ. Maybe he's going to write, this one is mine, Jesus Christ. Or he might write, he used to be called Cliff, now just call him one of mine. And see, when I get to heaven, he's going to write his name on me. Why? Because I belong to him. And I can never be lost. The same reason my mama wrote my name on all my stuff at camp. She didn't want it to get lost and it because it belonged to me. Jesus will write his name on those of you who have accepted him as his Savior and who have overcome all the evil that this world has to throw at you. It says that he will write his name on you. And nothing can ever change that. Now, what does this mean for you today? Some of you are here and you need hope for today. You need hope for the next 35 minutes. Stuff in your life is happening that you don't even know how you're going to deal with it. And then there's some of you here that, frankly, and pay attention to me if you're one of these people, 
There's some of you here, you think you got all your stuff together. You really do. And you look around and you think, man, I'm glad I'm not as messed up as some of the other jokers in here. But there's going to come a day when, when you're going to leave this earth and you're going to have to stand before God and then you're going to have to worry about this hope for eternity business. And whether or not you are His or not. Whether or not He's going to write on you a new name or whether He's going to look at you and say, no new name for you, I don't even know who you are, get out of here. And that's the reality of what's going to happen to all of us. We're going to have to face that. So, so here's, here's what, we, what we need to do to deal with this. I want to tell you today that, that just like the Scripture says here, that Jesus has placed before each of you an open door. For some of you, it's an open door to, to accept Him for the first time. To come to Him and say, my sins are messing me up and I can't do anything about it. For others of you, you're already a follower of Him and, and you're just dealing with some stuff and, and Jesus wants you to know that He knows that, that He's working on that and, and the open door for you is just to say, Jesus, I'm going to continue to be faithful even though it's difficult. Even though I can't see a way out yet, I promise you I'm going to continue to be faithful. I'm going to do just like the church at Philadelphia did, Lord. When, when, when people are turning their back on me, when, when nothing seems to be going the way I want it to go, I am going to be faithful to you no matter what. And so that's the open doors that there are today. I'm going to say a, a prayer. And um, when I'm done praying, we're going home. There's no closing song. So this is what I want you to do today. I want you to just think about your life and think about what open door it might be that Jesus has placed in front of you and, and how you need to respond to that. Don't clean up your stuff yet, all right? I know everybody's like, oh, Cliff said we're about to go home. We've got to get our purses together and put our Bibles up. Just chill out. Everybody chill. You don't get to Taco Bell on time, I promise you. Think about your life just for a second. And as I pray, I want you to deal with Jesus however you need to do it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually stop praying. I'm going to leave a, a moment of silence where you can pray for yourself. And if you need to accept him for the first time, you can do it right then. You don't have to have me standing next to you. Or if you're a follower of him already and, and you're, you're going through some stuff and maybe you're thinking about turning your back on him or you already have, I want you to say, Jesus, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be faithful. And I know that you're going to give me the strength to do that. And then I'm going to say amen and then we're going to go home. And if you've made a decision that you want somebody to know about, I want you to come down here and tell me. I want you to grab any of the folks that were on stage, any of our people wearing name tags, and say, listen, I did something today and I need to tell somebody about it. So let's pray. Father God, it is encouraging to read your word and to see where you tell us that you know what we're going through. And that you have placed before each of us an open door. And that it's an open door that no one can shut because you've opened it. And you are the one who can open doors that no one can shut and shut doors that no one can open. And so, Father, I pray for each person in here today. I pray for myself that we would all look at ourselves and figure out what it is that you want us to do with that door. And so, Lord, now I... I just ask that you speak to each of us. And as I as I am quiet now, that you would speak to each heart here and allow them to speak to you so you can do the work that you need to do.
Thank you for loving us enough to talk to us. Thank you for loving us enough to give us your word that we can read every day. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for everyone here, and I pray for this church that we would always remain faithful to you, that you would be able to say to us, like you said to the church at Philadelphia, that you know our deeds and that we have endured patiently and that you are proud of us because we have been faithfully obedient to you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.